Welcome to the Christmas Eve edition of the 106th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will talk about the past week's NBA and college basketball action. And with that, let's jump right in with a look at the NBA from last week. Patrick, what were your most impressive teams from the past week in the NBA? Well, there's a theme here. There's uh, one of these teams that's not like the other, but for three of the four teams, uh, I think the main theme is bad teams who had good weeks to give their fans a little bit of an early Christmas present, and then uh, only one of these teams will actually be playing on Christmas, which, if you look at it, that's not a good thing, because uh, you would hope that a lot of the good teams in the league are playing on Christmas, but... Unfortunately, we only have about three or four good teams that are playing this year on Christmas. It's a separate conversation that I'll get to later. But let's start off with the Pelicans, who went 3-0 this week. They beat Orlando, they beat Portland, and they beat Milwaukee. Obviously, no losses. Uh, Again, I obviously was not trying to watch any Pelicans games this week, so I don't exactly know how this happened. But uh, even without Zion, I think maybe the news of his setback caused this team to kind of rally around each other a little bit more and kind of say, hey, look, he, we can't expect him to be the savior of this team. We're going to have to learn how to play without him because he's not going to be here for a while. And overall, just playing well as a team, I guess, this week. Uh, not exactly the hardest schedule, but not an easy one either. Obviously, you have the defending champs Milwaukee, although they were very, 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 very injured and, uh, and, and, and Giannis tested positive for COVID, so not exactly the full... Uh, the full complement of the Bucks roster that won the championship game, but still an impressive win there. And then, uh, I mean, Portland still without C.J. McCollum, but overall it's, it's a pretty good week for a team that doesn't have such high expectations. Uh, moving on from them to a team who does have high expectations, the Suns just keep winning. I mean, them and the Warriors just the entire year, they just don't stop. Uh, they went 3-0 this week with wins over OKC, uh, the Lakers, and Charlotte. Uh, again, not not exactly the hardest schedule, especially when you look. I mean, I wouldn't even put the Lakers anywhere near the the echelon that Milwaukee's on at this point because the Lakers have just been playing terribly, and this is uh, no AD at this point. So not, not as impressive as that win could have been, um, especially because the Lakers, A, haven't been playing well, and B, aren't dealing with their full roster right now. But still, 3-0 for the Suns, pretty impressive. Um, and OKC, which I'll get to in a second, have actually been playing well themselves, so that win might actually be more impressive than the Lakers win, at least this week when you look at who's on the roster. I mean, we now know that the Lakers have also signed Darren Collison to play on a 10-day contract. They had Isaiah Thomas playing this week. Um, They're getting Stanley Johnson to play on a 10-day contract, so they have a lot of roster issues. They're not the only team either who's dealing with that, but the Lakers seem to be... uh, seem to be the ones who are still taking the same, it feels like they're taking one approach uh, to how they think they can be successful this year, and I don't think it's working, but we'll, I'll get to that when uh, we talk about them a little bit more in depth. But overall, a good week for the Suns. And let's move on to the team who had only one loss this week, but that one loss was to Phoenix, the Oklahoma City Thunder. They beat Denver, they beat Memphis, and they beat the Clippers. The only loss to Phoenix is pretty good. I mean, for most teams, that would be a very, very successful week. I would argue for any team in the league that would be a successful week. Even the Warriors would probably consider that a good week. Um, but for a team like the Thunder to do it, it makes it even more impressive because, well, let's face it, they haven't been very good this year. Uh, and any wins like that are, are very, very impressive for them. Uh, none of these teams really as injured as they once were. 
Uh, the thing that probably impresses me the most is the fact that the Thunder lost to Memphis by 80 points the last time they played them. John Morant came back for this game, and the Thunder were able to beat the Grizzlies with John Morant after losing to them by 80 without him. So uh, a good bounce-back week for the Thunder, really, and uh, playing playing some good basketball, uh, surprisingly. Um, and then moving on to the last team, the Spurs beat both L.A. teams and Utah and only lost to Sacramento at the very, very beginning of the week. Uh, but overall, the Spurs, another team who have not been playing up to their franchise's expectations at least this season, uh, but overall you have Greg Popovich as your coach. You're still going to have some some periods of success. Um, they're just a well-coached team, and they're going to continue to play well. They have enough talent to reel off a few of these wins in a row, but then also, as you can see, it still gets offset by a loss to Sacramento. This is probably going to be their pattern for the rest of the season. Maybe have a few weeks like this and then have a lot more weeks where they're just not winning very much. Um, but overall, I would say definitely fitting into the theme, uh, excluding the Suns, of all the impressive teams not being the greatest teams in the world, but uh, playing well for one week before Christmas. All right, and what about your most disappointing teams of the past week? Yeah, let's start with the Lakers, who were 0-4 this week. Losses to San Antonio, Phoenix, Chicago, and Minnesota. Uh, zero wins. Look, LeBron is doing all he can to put this team on his back. Um, but as he continues to score more, uh, this week was one of his highest scoring weeks of the year. But he had lower assist numbers, and they ended up going 0-4, which I think is a reflection of what they need him to do is to be a facilitator more than a scorer. But the issue is he doesn't really have anyone to facilitate to because he can make as many passes as he wants and they're going to keep missing shots. So I don't exactly know how the Lakers fix that problem. Uh, you can't just get AD to be healthier because he is an injury-prone player and always has been. Uh, and the rest of the roster, if you look at it, they decided that they were going to get old vets and old guys rather than keep the roster young. They could have kept Alex Caruso, but they chose to, you know, go out and get Carmelo, go out and get um, guys like Dwight Howard instead. And it's just not exactly working the way it was intended to work. But I would argue that uh, the roster just isn't young enough. And even in these random 10-day contracts that they're having to sign because of all the players they have out with COVID and with injuries, and obviously obviously Russell Westbrook was another pickup there that was a veteran pickup, but they, they're even still getting. I mean, they got two dudes who retired from the league. They did not get players who were not who didn't turn out so well after their draft picks. I mean, Stanley Johnson, yes, fits that mold, but Darren Collison retired in 2019, and Isaiah Thomas has been out of the league for a while. So uh, it's not... It's weird that the Lakers have almost proven themselves wrong that they can get a bunch of veterans and just put together a good roster from that, and yet they're still so committed to the approach, and I really don't understand where it came from. Um, honestly, I could go back to the beginning of the season, and if you look at what the Lakers are missing a lot of, I said LeBron has no one to facilitate to, well, you know who he could have been facilitating to is Buddy Heald, but instead the Lakers decided to trade even more to get Russell Westbrook, obviously trading Kyle Kuzma, KCP, Montrez Harrell, uh, to the Wizards to get Russell Westbrook as opposed to trading, I think they would have not traded um, KCP and they could have gotten Buddy Heald from the Kings instead. Imagine if the Lakers still had two extra three-point shooters and they also could have added Carmelo to that mix. Then maybe they would have been a lot of a better team 
But that was their first big mistake, and I think it's nothing wrong with Russ. It's just that the way LeBron has played the rest of his career uh, at the end of his career is a lot of facilitating with a lot of driving and kicking, and he has no one to kick the ball to because no one on the team can make a three. <laughs> um, and really, I mean, if you look at the Lakers, like LeBron is top three in percentage from three-pointers on the team, and he can't pass the ball to himself. So it, it's just the Lakers' issues are pretty deep, and uh, I don't know how they recover and become the championship contender that they were supposed to be. I, I think, frankly, it might not be possible. Um, but... Moving on from the Lakers, after a couple good weeks uh, without John Morant, the Grizzlies got Jaw back, but have taken a little bit to gel. They went 1-3 this week. They beat Sacramento, but they lost to Golden State, to OKC, and to Portland. Uh, overall, not a great week for the Grizzlies. Uh, we just talked about the fact that they beat OKC by 80 the last time, and now that they got their best player back, now they lose them, which is just interesting to me, but... um. Look, I, I don't think that's going to be any more long-term issues for the Grizzlies. I think, kind of as I said with the Spurs, where they might rattle off a good week here and there, the Grizzlies might have a, a, a bad week here and there. But overall, this is still a team that I think we can trust to be, at least in the Western Conference playoffs conversation, somewhere towards the bottom of the seed line at the 7-8 uh, to eight seed range. I think that's easily where they're going to fit in. Um, moving on from the Grizzlies, the Nuggets are another team who should be squarely in the playoff race, and I think they will continue to be uh, for the rest of the season. But they went 1-2 and two this week. They beat Atlanta but lost to Charlotte and to OKC. Not a great week for them. Nikola Jokic probably had, honestly, the worst game I've ever seen him had in a really long time. He had 13 points and 7 rebounds, and that was pretty much all he did. I think it was against uh, Charlotte, or maybe it was against OKC. And, it was, you know, it was just surprising to see them do that. Uh, but again, just like the the Grizzlies, I don't think there's cause for long-term concern with the Nuggets because they're going to get reinforcements back in the long run of the season once they get Jamal Murray back. So they're going to be even better. Um, this team is not good without Nikola Jokic on the floor, at least without Jamal Murray too. But as long as he can stay out there and keep them afloat, by the time Jamal Murray gets back, they will be probably able to get home court advantage, uh, at least for the first series. Um, in the Western Conference playoffs. So I have no issues with the Nuggets long-term, but overall not a great week this week. Um, and then finally, a team that does have some long-term issues. The Knicks went 1-2. and two. Their only win this week was over Detroit. They lost to Washington and Boston. Kemba Walker had 41-9-8 against Washington, and they still lost. So what I'm seeing here is after they moved Kemba out of the rotation, and now Derrick Rose is injured, which is why Kemba Walker is playing again, but Kemba Walker got benched by Tom Thibodeau. Um, no one really understood why other than the fact that if you looked at the plus-minus and the analytics and whatever, he's not the greatest defender. But everybody knew that Kemba Walker was not a, an amazing defender going into the season, and the reason why the Knicks got him is because they needed a dominant score. So either they don't need either it was that they don't need a score anymore or that they do. And I don't understand how they decided that they were going to get Kemba. But if he wasn't playing amazing defense, they were going to bench him because, frankly, that's what you should expect from him. He's not he's not going to be Kawhi Leonard. He's not a two way star. He is a mainly offensive player and he is very, very gifted on the offensive end. But. The Knicks are just confusing me with this, and I mean, overall, I think it got proven against Washington that it was not it was not an issue of Kemba. I think your defensive issues cannot be all one player. 
Um, and if he's going to drop 41-9-8 and eight and you don't win, I mean, maybe that's cause for people to say, see, look, it doesn't even matter how much he scores. We're still going to lose because he's bad on defense. But I, you can't you can't blame it all on one player. Um, the Knicks issues, I think, run a little bit deeper than that. And I think just overall they're just not playing as good team defense as they did last year. Um, and I don't really know how they reclaim it. I think some of that is, honestly, some of the players they lost. Reggie Bullock was a big part of that team last year. Um, they're integrating Mitchell Robinson back in. They're having Kemba back in. It's it's an interesting mix of players that they kind of have to uh, retool everything with. So uh, they have to figure it out soon, but I'm not so confident that they will. Overall, it's just not been a good year for the Knicks. All right, well, who was the player of the week last week? I will go with Damian Lillard, who averaged 38 points, 3.7 rebounds, 6.7 assists on 48.4% shooting from three and 54.8% shooting overall. Just a very, very efficient week for Dame. Uh, A lot of points. Obviously, he's going to do this a few times a year, but uh, it was really down to him and Bradley Beal, who both were averaging 37 and 38. Just ridiculous numbers this week. Uh, Finally, not Kevin Durant, but the only reason that is is because he tested positive for COVID and didn't play a single game this week. And they only Uh, had one game anyway. And the Nets only had one game, yeah. Um, And... Well, that was part of the reason why they only had one game sure. is because he was one of the many players who tested positive. Um, hopefully, they can be back on Christmas. And let's talk about Christmas for a little bit. Sad to see that Dame won't be playing on Christmas, obviously. Portland's not a great team, but if you look at some of the other teams they have on Christmas, there are a lot of not great teams on there. Uh, the Lakers are under 500. The Hawks and the Knicks are a matchup of two teams under 500. You have the Celtics who are barely above or at 500 at this point playing the defending champs, and Giannis' status is questionable for that game. Uh, And then you have the Dallas matchup against the Jazz where Dallas is barely above 500 and the Jazz are way above 500. The only matchup I think that's actually worth watching tomorrow um, is the Suns and the Warriors. I think very obviously that matchup is clearly the only one worth watching, at least because of the fact that even if these guys get healthy again, and, and even if Kevin Durant is able to play, which I don't think they've confirmed that he can, I think I think they said that he's not playing tomorrow against the Lakers, but James Harden is. Even if it's Harden against LeBron, I mean, you're missing AD, you're missing Kevin Durant, you're missing Kyrie Irving, you're missing Russ. That game is not what it was sold to be, and also uh, the Lakers just aren't as good as they were supposed to be. The Mavericks haven't have been playing a lot without Luka Doncic, so they're having issues with that, but overall... No offense to the NBA, but uh, I might be watching more football than basketball tomorrow. I think that's safe to say. Yeah, it looks like uh, the NBA has a lot of big team names, but not a lot of big games. Well, and and the thing is, you know, there are the Staples who play every single year on Christmas, and even somehow when both the Lakers and the Knicks were terrible, it still felt like the other three games that they had were really, really good, and they made it so that you wouldn't you wouldn't even notice that the Lakers and the Knicks were so bad, and they put them at the, the earliest time slot and the last time slots that you barely even realized they were on, um, and they would put them against good teams, but I think this year just did not get, this year just did not turn out how it was supposed to from the beginning of the year, and a lot of teams who weren't supposed to be the greatest have been really, really good, um, but, you know, I think the big-name teams like the Celtics and the Lakers that are underperforming you can't really do much about it because you're going to have them play anyway, but uh, I think it's it's sad to see that the matchups are honestly pretty bad and also the fact that now a lot of these players who would even make the matchups more watchable aren't even going to be playing in the first place. Yeah, well, let's hope all the games actually get played. Uh, we have a full slate on Christmas Day. That would be something to be thankful for. 
Uh, that wraps up our look at the NBA for this past week. Now let's turn our attention to last week's action in college basketball. So, Patrick, let's take a look back at the biggest upsets from last week in college basketball. Well, I will start with uh, some Big East action here. Actually, most of these games are Big East. Um, Creighton beat number 9 Villanova 79-59. to Creighton not favored in this game. Uh, and overall, obviously, an unranked team beating a top-10 team is pretty surprising, although... Um, I wasn't entirely too surprised that they won this game. Creighton is a good team, uh, and I think that Villanova, I've said it over and over and over again, their style does not going to win every single game, and I think there are certain games where no matter what they do, um, if their shots aren't falling, they just literally cannot win the game, uh, and this game was one of those games, and that's the reason why they lost. They just did not hit shots. It looked exactly like they looked against Baylor, where they only ended up with 37 points. The only difference is Creighton played fast enough that this game was 79-59 to instead of 59-37. to But Villanova just looking bad again, and I think I, I said it before the season. Um, I wasn't the highest on this team. I they were a four seed last year. Did not really add much to their team, only lost a, and, and lost a little bit of production. Uh, so overall, I didn't really see how they jumped into the top five randomly, but, uh, I think, I, I think those claims are definitely backed up. I, I think it's very obvious at this point in the year that there are a lot of teams with more talent than Villanova, and there are a lot of teams that can really change up their style enough to win close games than Villanova can. I think Duke has like four or five players that they can go to to score 30 a game if they need them, and if, and if they're on, they're on that night. Um, and I think overall, teams like Duke, teams like Purdue, they know who, who their guys are, and, and if they're having an off night, they'll just go to someone else, and I think it's pretty simple. Everybody knows their roles. Um, if Duke if Duke needs to win a game on the defensive end, Mark Williams is going to make a lot of shot blocking and, uh, and get some tough rebounds and everything, and then if they're going to win a game where it's high scoring, they're going to rely on Trevor Keels, and they're going to rely on Paolo Bancaro to just play out of their minds and score a lot, so I, I think and Wendell Moore, too, doing that. But uh, I, I think Villanova just doesn't quite have that identity. Their only identity is three-point shooting, and when the shots don't fall, it looks pretty ugly. And they're also not uh, they are not exactly the defensive team that they were, uh, at least definitely not in the championship years, uh, which I think is something when we talk about like a team like Alabama, who basically shoots threes, gets layups, gets fouled, and then moves on and plays good enough defense to win the game— Villanova doesn't get as many steals as Alabama does, so they don't even have the layup part of it that, that Alabama does. And uh, overall, they're playing similar styles, but Alabama's just executing it higher. So I think that you can go into a lot of different things with Villanova, but overall, I don't think this team is going to be top 10 this year. I, I think that's safe to say, and I think they're going to be probably maybe worse than last year, if not a, a tad better, or at least the same. So probably sitting in around the 4-5 to five seed range at the end of the year. Uh, but moving on... Providence beat number 20 UConn 57-53. to Providence has lost one game all year. I don't know how they weren't ranked before. Said that um, last week. Yeah, and this is, the, and I mean, I said it, and then of course, the, I mean, thankfully they backed me up, um, and they got this win over UConn to prove how good they are. Uh, this does not mean UConn isn't good. This just means that they lost to another good team. It was a really, really close game. Uh, and UConn's been playing without some of their players recently, and uh, they've had a lot of they've had a few injuries. Uh, they're still working on replacing the production from James Booknight, who left last year and was a lottery pick. So, 
UConn has some things to work on, but overall they're a good team, and I think Providence is just a tad better, and I think this win proves that. And finally, the head scratcher, uh, Hofstra beat number 24, Arkansas, 89-81. to uh, For some reason, I was looking at this game, and I was wondering, like, was this upset in any way predictable? Like, did people just know that this was going to happen? And I actually found a few articles that had people picking Hofstra to beat Arkansas, including one from an Arkansas-like fan-sided type of source. And I was thinking, how did their fans know that they were going to lose to Hofstra? It, it seems like, I don't know wh- where that came from, but somehow their fans knew. Um, I guess it was predictable in that way. Obviously, it's not that predictable, and it was a huge upset, but... Apparently, Hofstra was good enough to beat Arkansas. They stayed close against teams like Ohio State earlier in the year. Um, And I guess Arkansas just tripped up enough and were still a little bit disappointed from their loss to Oklahoma. And maybe they felt that Oklahoma uh, kind of exposed some of the team's uh, issues and that that kind of came back to bite them. And now Hofstra was able to exploit those same issues and get this win. And for the last upset, Davidson went on the road and beat number 10, Alabama, 79-78. Uh, honestly, the biggest issue with this loss by Alabama, I mean, I talked about some of their issues overall as, uh, in their style, but obviously I think they're, they're doing the Villanova style, but better. I think Alabama's real issue here was the scheduling. I think this was just not a good idea. Um, they played on Saturday against Jacksonville State and decided that it would be a good idea to schedule Davidson only two days after to try to, I guess, sneak another game in before Christmas and before the SEC schedule, not a good idea. Um, Davidson is good enough that they kind of fell into a trap game here. Uh, If you really look at Davidson this year, they started the year one and two, uh, and since then they've been pretty good, and I think Alabama just kind of made a mistake. Um, (laughs) Davidson has been playing well enough, and... uh, Overall, again, it's just a scheduling mistake. I don't know what Alabama was thinking here. Um, And, by the way, credit to Davidson because while Alabama made a kind of a dumb mistake there, Davidson actually won a game the day after, scoring 106 points the day after they played Alabama too. So uh, Davidson uh, maybe having a little – and that game was not against a great team, but still, uh, Alabama, not good scheduling on their part, kind of deserved to lose that game. All right, let's move on to the close games from last week. We will start with number 22, Xavier, beating Marquette, 80-71. to uh, This game shows off the Big East depth a lot. Uh, I've talked about eight. Uh, I've talked about 10 teams so far now, uh, over five games, and six of them have been in the Big East, and I think all six of those teams will be in the tournament. I think it's pretty safe to say that at least five of them will be. Uh, Marquette's kind of the odd one out where... Maybe this win against Davier was kind of a win that they would need as a signature win, just like Providence went on the road and beat UConn, and uh, Creighton's got that win over Villanova now. But Xavier picking up a quality win here uh, to solidify themselves as a pretty good team. Uh, and then moving on from that, number 13, Auburn beat St. Louis 74-70. to This is exactly, by the way, same conference between Auburn and Alabama, both of them playing A-10 teams. Auburn going on the road and doing it, but when they're a little bit more prepared— and uh, St. Louis did choke a lead in this ha- in this game. They were up by 10 in the second half. But overall, Auburn played well enough to beat them. Auburn really does have the formula of a team who can make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. I really, really believe that. The three-point shooting, but they're not over-reliant on threes. In fact, they're probably less reliant on threes than they were in the year where they made the Final Four 
uh, by shooting about 30 or 40 a game. Um, but they also have NBA talent in Jabari Smith. He's a matchup nightmare for anybody. He's a 6'10 guy who can really play like a shooting guard, and that's just not easy to guard whatsoever. Um, so Auburn can cause a lot of teams a lot of problems this year. Uh, and speaking of teams that can cause problems but haven't caused problems so far, uh, Oregon came into the year in the top 15, haven't done much since. They're 6-5 and five on the year now, I believe, after their loss to number one Baylor, 78-70. Finally, Baylor breaking the curse of the undefeated or of the number one team uh, losing immediately as soon as they get ranked number one. They were the only team who hasn't lost, um, I think, in the last three weeks that was a number one team. Uh, so good for Baylor for hanging on to that spot for one extra week, and I don't even think they play this week. So uh, I guess they get it for two more weeks. Um, but after that Baylor win... You have number 19, Tennessee, beating number 6, Arizona, at home, 77-73. to 73. A really, really close game. Um, overall, this does not dissuade me from thinking that Arizona is good whatsoever. Um, I think all you need to do is just look at Ben Matherin and just say that this team has a superstar who can lead them into a lot of close games and play very well in close games. Uh, if you look at their most important games... Uh, at, I mean, in this game, he played 36 minutes, shot 50%, scored 28 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists. Uh, at Illinois, he played 39 minutes, shot 10 of 17, had 30 points, 7 rebounds, 1 assist. Uh, and, I mean, at Oregon State, he played 30 minutes. He was 11 of 18, had 29 points. Uh, against Michigan, I mean, Michigan really, quote-unquote, held him in check. Uh, and Arizona was still able to really easily roll over Michigan, beating them by 18, but... He only had, he only, I should, I mean, only is really a sarcastic term here at this point. Uh, 16 points on 53% shooting against Wichita State. He also played 41 minutes in an overtime game, scored 25 points. He's just really, really good. I mean, the, I listed every single game they played on a neutral court and on the road, and he just doesn't stop playing no matter what building he's in. And I think he can lead Arizona to be a top 10 team. And they have great shot blocking beside him uh, with Umar Ballo and Christian Coloco and, uh, they have great three-point shooting, and he's just a superstar. So Arizona's still looking really, really good. Uh, but Tennessee plays good defense. Arizona started off this game with 10 turnovers in the first six or seven minutes, and that's really what led to their downfall. They outplayed Tennessee for most of this game. The only problem was their start was so bad that it was impossible to overcome. I think Tennessee was up at some point, maybe, I want to say 21-6 to or something like that, and that was just too much for Arizona to overcome on the road. Um, and the final team, number two, Duke beat Virginia Tech 76-65 to while debuting their new uniforms. Um, this game was a little bit too close for comfort, I would say, uh, for Duke fans, but I don't think it's time to start ringing alarm bells or anything. I still think that this is a very good Duke team that we're watching, and uh, I think overall this just proves that they can beat really any different caliber of team in a variety of different ways, and I think this game just, again, that just proves that. All right, what about some other important matchups from last week? Number five, Gonzaga beat number 25, Texas Tech, 69-55. to 55. Uh, If you want my fresh recollection uh, and, and uh, summary of that game, you should probably listen to the last podcast uh, where it was on uh, my weekend prediction, so I talked about it a little bit more there. Um, but Gonzaga finally shooting okay from the three-point line and really just not having it all be on one guy's shoulders, uh, that being Rasir Bolton. Um, and that's what Gonzaga's going to need to do. They need to shoot the three more consistently if they want to be the number one team in the country like they were in the preseason. Um, but so far, they haven't played uh, up to that level, and uh, 
This win was kind of them maybe returning to form a little bit, um, but overall I still think they need to get better shooting and continue to improve on that end. Uh, then you had number 21, Kentucky, beating North Carolina 98-69. Not the original matchup that was supposed to be played at the event that they were at, and uh, we'll get to that in a second. Um, but Kentucky playing a ridiculous game here. I mean, they just they just crushed North Carolina. I think it's pretty simple. Um, there's no real other way around it. Um, Oscar Chishibwe is just a monster on the boards for Kentucky, and I think there's no... I mean. I don't know how you stop that. I, I mean, and later in the week, he collected 28 rebounds against Western Kentucky at home. Um, so, look, Kentucky is actually, I think Kentucky's somehow underrated. I feel like every single year they're overrated. This is the one year where it might be the opposite. I think 21 is way too low for them. Uh, I had originally picked them to beat number 15 Ohio State in that same event. Obviously, they played somebody else, but they had played this way. They would have killed Ohio State, too. Um, and then moving on, finally, number 23, Villanova, beat number 18, Xavier, 71-58. Villanova finally playing um, up to their expectations, although Xavier was leading this game in the first half and probably could have kept their lead, but still Villanova not exactly playing great on offense. 71 is not a lot um, in a win where you win by 13, but their defense finally stepping up in this game, so that's a good sign for them uh, long term, but uh, a good win for Villanova in this game. All right, well, also part of the reason for a shorter list of games that we had to talk about this week is there were many cancellations due to COVID concerns, both past and upcoming. Patrick, you want to comment on that a little bit? I mean, there were just, there. there's a lot. Um, there, there's so many to go through. I think uh, you can start back at, uh, I mean, there were none on Friday, luckily, but uh, on Saturday, you even had Iona, who was a 10-2 team, playing Seton Hall, number 16. That got canceled. Uh, number 18, Tennessee, was going to play Memphis. That game got canceled after Memphis went over Alabama, too. Um, on Monday, you had St. John's, the number 15, Seton Hall, canceled. Seton Hall's been uh, dealing with the COVID issues there. Uh, you had number 7, Kansas, at Colorado, postponed or canceled. And then you had number 8, USC, uh, against Oklahoma State on the road, canceled. Uh, you had Georgetown at Providence, canceled. Providence now ranked uh, number 22. Uh, UCLA had a game postponed or cancel again, sorry. Uh, George Mason against number 24, Wisconsin, got canceled. Uh, number 15, Seton Hall, had a game against DePaul canceled, or postponed, actually. Um, and, and overall, there's just a lot of games that were not able to be played, and I think uh, if you even go back to the event uh, where North Carolina and Kentucky ended up playing each other, um, those two teams were slated to play other teams. North Carolina was supposed to play UCLA, and Kentucky was supposed to play Ohio State. And both Ohio State and UCLA had COVID issues, which caused Kentucky and North Carolina to play each other instead. Um, but overall, it's going to continue to be an issue, uh, as we're going to see in, in, in a moment soon. Um, UCLA and USC have extended their COVID pauses, which means that four of their games are going to be postponed. And uh, really, we're not going to figure out the hierarchy of the Pac-12 for a while, because... Uh, there was an important stretch coming up. Uh, USC and UCLA were both going to play Arizona and uh, Arizona State, I believe, coming up. Uh, and those games now obviously not being played. Um, and so, you know, you have UCLA and USC playing Arizona. Those are the top three teams in the Pac-12 right now. Um, and now you're not going to figure out who is the best out of all the three or even who's who's on who's on whose level because they're not going to be able to play the game. Um, USC, I think, plays Arizona later in the season, and that'll be made up eventually. But uh, 
for now, honestly, if you look at their schedule, it doesn't look like they're going to lose a game for a long time because they do not have many good teams on their schedule after that postponement against Arizona. Um, probably their, I mean, their next ranked matchup is February 5th against Arizona. Um, and then after that, it's UCLA the next game, uh, the next Saturday after that. So USC really getting lucky there, honestly, with how many with their games that they're not uh, having to play. Um, and then UCLA kind of in that same scenario where they had, I mean, they've had now three games postponed. And um, for them, they are also not going to play another ranked game until February when they play Arizona. Um, and then they play at USC after that. So both those teams are not going to be tested for a long time. We'll see if they slip up and lose in some upsets before then. But uh, overall, I think it's sad to see that those games are getting postponed. I was looking forward to watching those games, definitely. Um, but hopefully there can still be some other great matchups. Hopefully the start of Big Ten play can bring some good games. Uh, hopefully there can be less Big East games getting postponed. Obviously they were going well until obviously the three postponements and cancellations that I talked about. But uh, again, COVID is going to continue to impact these games. And uh, unfortunately, we could hope that there, it's not going to, but I have a feeling it might. Con- it, it'll probably continue. Yeah, I think we're going to just have to roll with the punches. Uh, for the rest of the season. All right. And maybe have some lopsided game amounts like we had uh, yeah. when the Big Ten only played like five non-conference games and then just a conference schedule just like last year. Uh, I think you had teams like Michigan who were like 21-2 and two going into the, the postseason if you uh, exclude conference tournaments and then other teams who had played 33, 34 games depending on what conference they were in. So uh, we'll see how it turns out. Yes, we will. Well, that wraps up our look at college basketball for this edition of the podcast. It also represents the end of the podcast itself. Please join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, December 27th, where we will see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions, discuss the weekend's NFL action and the college football bowl games. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his weekend predictions that were posted yesterday, an an updated NCAA basketball tournament bracket, we posted on Saturday. All of that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.